The following message was given by Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, July 8th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. Well, welcome to the Sunday morning gathering of Redemption Hill. I'm going to start in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Just to kind of give you a sense of what, what you're in for this morning. We're going to spend our time in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. That's where we'll be for most of the time. I'm going to begin in, in chapter 1, verse 27, though, as I read this. Now, the Apostle Paul is in, he's in prison, actually. He's in jail in Rome, and he's writing to the Philippian church. They're over in the city of Philippi. And he, he expresses a desire for them in verse 27, and here's how it sounds. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, the Apostle Paul says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, I'm going I'm to ask you a question that Ryan Burns over here asked me and another group, a group that we were with at VCU. We were doing campus ministry there about 12 years ago or so, and and Ryan was preaching that night, and he, he asked a question, and he said, what was the last thing you read in the Bible that actually changed your life? So I'm going to ask us this morning, what was the last thing you read in the Bible that actually had a profound impact on your life, that changed something, so that your manner of life was more worthy of the gospel of Christ? Right, because that's, that's what we want to happen. See, because you came this morning prepared to go through the motions, right? I, I come to church, I sit down for a while, I sing a few songs, I, I listen to somebody talk for way too long if you go to Redemption Hill, right? But, but I, I, I do all that, that's what we do, and then I leave and nothing really changes. But sometimes God shows up in a very special way and, and, and Something grips your soul and, and your whole life changes because of something God said in his word. That is what we are hoping for. And over the next few weeks this summer, as we go through the remainder of the summer, you're going to have an opportunity to hear from some of us who serve as pastors here at Redemption Hill. And what we're going to be doing is we're, we're going to be highlighting passages that have had precisely that impact on us. And so if you were here last week, you already heard Tim Abbott, one of our other pastors, preach from Romans chapter 8 at the end of the chapter there in verses 31 through 39. Well, I'm going to add to that this week, and we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And, and what you're getting is, is, is like a, a mixtape. Some of you can appreciate that analogy, right? You remember those mixtapes where you would you'd put all your favorite songs? Ryan, Ryan, some people are looking confused. They're too young. It's a playlist. It's a playlist, right? So you, you know what a playlist is, right? You, you get a bunch of your favorite songs. You, you download them from something. And I, I don't, I've never used Spotify in my life. I just pretend like I know what it is. By now, that's probably outdated and obsolete. I have no idea what you young people use. But back in my day, we would have these cassette tapes. And I, I put one of those in, in. In our home, we had a little cassette tape player. And I used to wake up on Saturday morning listening to Casey Kasem, America's Top 40, The Countdown. And you just knew 
that that was the morning where you would get all of your favorite songs. They were going to be played at some point, number 40 all the way down all up to number one. And me and my brothers, we used to just wait for all the songs we wanted to record because the only other way you could get all those songs was if you bought all the records for the one or two. We couldn't just go buy a single or buy, you know, we couldn't do that. They didn't, that stuff hadn't been invented yet. So we used to actually have to sit and listen on the radio and capture all those songs one by one, and, and we would call that a mixtape, right? So that, that's what this is. It's a mixtape is like a playlist with a whole adventure to it, right? So that's what you young people are missing out on, in case you ever want to try that. Anyway, so you are going to get like a mixtape of Bible passages from your pastors that have had a profound impact on our lives, and we're going to continue that this morning with Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Let me pray for us as we prepare to hear God's word, and then we'll get going. Lord, we, we do trust that you're speaking through the Bible. And we believe that when you speak, and when our hearts actually interact with your voice the way that they should, everything can change. The same voice that created everything in the beginning comes to us through the Bible and has the power to change everything about our lives, to put right things that we could never put right ourselves. And each one of us in here this morning, Lord, needs things to be put right. For some of us, we need our entire lives to be put right. We need our relationship with you to be put right. And that's never happened for us before. And for others of us, it's the rest of our lives that one by one, piece by piece, thing by thing, we need all those things to be put right. And we trust that your spirit can do that through your word. We ask you to speak now in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 to begin, and then we'll, we'll see what else God wants to say. Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Lord, again, help us as we listen to your word and how you have Again, just, just turn my life around through this very simple passage. In Jesus' name, amen. It was July 14th, 2010. So just about eight years ago, July 14th, 2010, it was the night before, I know the exact night, because the very next morning I was getting on a plane to go over to Central Asia on the very same trip that Emily just talked about. This was eight years ago. I was preparing to head over there. And my wife, Heather, and I got into the biggest fight we have ever had as a married couple. The, the night before I have to get on a plane and fly overseas for a 10-day trip, we get into the biggest fight. And to this day, this is the biggest fight my wife and I, the biggest argument we have ever had. I looked across the room at my wife, and she looked back at me, 
and we were so angry at each other. If you were to really ask me how we got to that point, I, don't, I can't really remember. All I can tell you is um, there are certain things that really trigger my wife and there are certain things that really trigger me. Right? So if she is trying to get me to do something that is really important for the family and I'm busy doing something else and I don't look like I'm really paying much attention or, or even considering what's on, on her mind, it, it, it triggers her and she, she can get very angry. If she speaks to me like I'm one of the children, oh, everything in me just rises up and, and it's, the fight is on. All right, that is what was happening this night. And she tried to speak to me very calmly and nicely. Uh, uh, all she got in return for me is, I cannot believe you're telling me what to do again. And I looked over at this, my, my beloved wife, I looked at this woman that God has given to me, this incredible woman of God who is my wife, and all I could see, verse 3, was a rival, an opponent, an enemy. And trust me, it was mutual. I was stuck. I could not get out of this argument. We could not fix things. And I think we tried for a couple of minutes. And I, I picked up the phone and I, I texted Robert. I texted Ryan. You, I don't know, you might have been in on that as well. I texted some, some of my friends here, some of, some of your pastors, and I just said, can you guys pray? I don't know what's going on. Heather and I are at each other's throats and, and nothing we are trying is working. And so at that moment, Heather and I, you know, we had this rule where we, we, we just, we won't let ourselves go to bed with unresolved conflict. At the very least, we'll look at each other and say, all right, it doesn't look like this is going to be fixed right now. When can we talk about this later? Whether that's tomorrow or it's, you know, a couple of days from now, when can we sit down again to talk about this? Well, we, 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 I was getting on a plane to leave for 10 days. I was going to be overseas. We had to deal with this before, before the sun went down. And so we just decided there, Heather, Heather was going to stay upstairs. I was going to go and get some space downstairs. Um, and we were just going to pray and ask for God's help. And that's what we did. We went to separate places in the house. And I, I went downstairs and took out this Bible. And I sat down on the sofa and this is the passage that the Lord brought me to. And he spoke to me through this passage and said, Raymond Goodlett, I have your attention now, don't I? You need to learn how to count. You need to learn how to count. Now, my big problem was that my wife was talking to me as if I was a child. And now the Lord is telling me I've got to learn how to count. But you do that when you're little, right? No, he, he says, no, you need to learn how to count. Now, before you, before you think I'm talking about these popular psychological methods of anger management where you count up to 10 and, and you know, that, that causes you to, to have that anger subside a little bit so you don't say or do anything you'd regret, that's not what I'm talking about. We're back in verse 3. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. The Lord looked at me through this passage and said, you need to learn how to count others more significant than yourself. I had, I had read this passage 
dozens of times before. I might have taught on this passage prior to this night. On July 14, 2010, I really learned this passage. It, it changed me. And it is still changing me. See, if you know me very well, or you've had the, um, the unfortunate experience of encountering me at one of my worst and most selfish moments, then you might doubt whether or not this, this passage is actually at work on me. And I couldn't blame you for that. But I'm telling you it is. Since July 14, 2010, there is not a day where this passage has not passed through my soul and turned me around. Not a single day. And on this night, the Lord began to speak to me and he said, here is what you need to do. You need to go to your wife and you need to repent. You need to apologize. Because what you have been doing is the exact opposite of what I call you to as a Christian. You have been operating, verse 3, from rivalry and conceit. Conceit. Instead of the humility to which I call you, you are operating in the conceit that makes you believe that you are more significant than your wife. That your interests are more significant and more important than hers. And this is why you're so angry. There's something you want, and she's getting in your way. You see her as a rival, as an enemy, as an opponent. But the reason you see her that way is not so much because of anything she's doing. The reason, this is what God was saying to me, and, and if, this, if this fits, then grab onto it. But the reason I was looking at my wife that way that night is because I'm conceited. I was operating out of conceit. Verse 3. In my conceit, I was counting myself more significant than her. Now, we don't like to think of ourselves as conceited. But if you're anything like me, you find moments like that where you're, that's definitely how you're approaching other people and reacting to other people and counting yourselves more significant than others. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Look, I want you to humble yourself before your wife and then I want you to discover what her interests are. Raymond, I want you, verse 4, not to look out for only your own interests, but I want you to also seek the interests of your wife. And it was, it was clear in my soul. I could, I could hear the Lord saying this to me. I want you to seek your wife's interests you haven't even listened long enough to know what they are. You're, you're, you're miles behind where I need you to be if you're going to serve your wife and your family. And so, and so God had done whatever work he needed to do in my heart. And, and again, thanks be to God, while that was going on, he had also done whatever work needed to be done in my wife's heart upstairs. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to lay out for you now a process that God walked me through that has helped me to this very day when it comes to dealing with conflict like this, dealing with anger like this, and applying the truth of God and the gospel 
to these cases that all of us experience in our relationships with other people, even those closest to us. I do not want you, however, to misunderstand what I am doing. I do not want you to think that I am giving you some formula that you can just pick up and use because that's not what happened that night. That night, God did a miracle in my heart and my wife's heart at the same time. And the miracle through which God took me, at least from a place of conceit, and brought me back to a place of humility where I could actually serve my wife and, and love her the way that I'm called to as a husband, that miracle is what each of us needs. As often as we find ourselves on the wrong side of this passage, that miracle is what we need. And so if you hear anything from me, then here my advice to you is to seek the one who granted that miracle. Go to God the way that we did that night in prayer, and he is the one who by his power and grace will start to put things right. But the process through which he walked me was also very helpful. And if it's helpful to you, I'll share it with you this morning. And so he said, take out a piece of paper and take out a pen. Again, you young people, you're so digitized, you don't know anything about this. But I actually got out a piece of paper and a pen and wrote some things down. And it's as if the Lord said to me, now you know very well what your own interests are. Write them down. What are you so upset about? What, what is it you want and you think your wife is getting in the way and preventing this from happening? What is it you're so upset about? Write it down. And I listed five or six things on that piece of paper. And then I tried to write what I thought Heather's interests were. And I got to like one or two of those. And then Heather came down and we, we prayed together and we started to we started to walk through this process, and I, and I actually said to her, Heather, I'm, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. I, I was operating in rivalry and conceit. I was counting myself more significant than you. I was completely wrong to do that. Can you please forgive me? I know that God wants me to not only look out for my own interests, but yours as well. And I, I wasn't doing that. In fact, I wasn't even listening to you long enough to know what your interests were. Can you please forgive me? And can you help me understand what you were trying to tell me when I was too busy thinking about myself to even listen? And my gracious wife forgave me. We started to talk through it that night. She helped me actually fill out whatever was on her mind in terms of her interests before I had to leave. And, and we had this now combined list of our interests. But we were no longer enemies or rivals. We were teammates again, and we had a combined list of interests, and we sat, we held each other's hands, and we prayed, and I said, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm ready at this point to simply seek my wife's interests even ahead of my own. Is there, is there any reason why we shouldn't go that way? Is there anything that I listed that, that maybe we should do first? And I was kind of hoping he would say yes. <laughs> no such thing happened. It, he seemed to be perfectly fine with me putting my wife's interests ahead of my own at that moment. And that's what we did. We, we, so we started to go through that list together, one thing at a time, starting with the bottom of the list and working our way up, just like Casey Kasem. And, and again, miracle of miracles, God put things right between me and my wife that night. Um, and again, we're, we're both works in progress. Uh, I, I like to think of it now, just last week, I was looking at the house next to me, 
uh, to my left on our street. And um, we're, we're, again, like we're not perfect. If you read Philippians chapter 3, it's really interesting. Paul says the very same thing, I think in verse 12, where he's saying, I, I don't consider myself to have already attained all of this. I'm not perfect. That house next to me is a great picture of that every time I, I lose sight of this because it's, it's really, it looks broken down on the outside, broken windows, it, you know, needs a lot of love. And this general contractor has moved into the house and has been living in there for a little over a year at least. And his deal with the owner of the house is he would move in for reduced rent and start to fix things up a little bit. And I know things can take some time, but I'm looking at the house thinking, like, I, I, I mean, I know the contractor's getting a good deal from the landlord, but, but it doesn't, doesn't look like, uh, what's going on over there, right? And then I had a, a conversation with that contractor not too long ago, and he began to explain to me what was going on. And he said, yeah, man, I got in there. That house, you wouldn't believe it. We had to completely gut the thing. We knocked everything down to the studs. A lot of it was plaster. He said, we had to deal with some of that, and this is what we needed to do that. He said, I had to replace all the plumbing. I mean, he, he said, this bathroom downstairs and this one on the first floor, I had to fix those. I completely re- redid those. We knocked out this wall. We put up this header. We did. He said a whole lot of stuff I don't understand, right? He may as well have been talking about Spotify. I have no idea what he was talking about. But suffice it to say, that general contractor, that expert in terms of renovating, he had done so much work on the inside of that house that I couldn't really tell just from looking at the outside. If you have ever looked at Christians and been disappointed because you look at the worst and weakest parts of their life, you'll probably come to the wrong conclusions and you'll, you'll say to yourself, this thing isn't real and it's not working. Young people do this all the time. They look at their parents and they misunderstand. They look at the churches they've grown up in and they misunderstand. They look back at them and they say, this, this was dead, it wasn't real, I, it's nothing but hypocrites. And more than likely, there is a whole lot of work going on on the inside of that person in that church that you just aren't seeing. I promise you. All right? And I know our kids growing up in this church probably will, will say or think the same thing. God, God willing, they won't. But God is doing a whole lot of work, I believe, inside of us, certainly on the inside of me, even through this passage. And he began to work on us again. And, and again, I don't want to just give you this as a formula. Because verse 5 is really where this passage begins to tell us where the power is found. So join me again in Philippians chapter 2 and look at verse 5. How can you and I increasingly live a life worthy of the manner, or live a manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ when it comes to this? when we experience conflict, when, when we look at people wrongfully as rivals and opponents and enemies, God says, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is where the power for the kind of humility God calls us to is found. In Christ Jesus, and only in Christ Jesus. In fact, Watch what the Apostle Paul does as he writes this part of the letter. He begins to turn the eyes of our heart toward Jesus, and he says, look, your only chance of having this kind of humility inside you, which allows you to count others more significant than yourselves, 
is found in looking at Christ. And he begins to give us a picture of the perfect Son of God and the way that he humbled himself in verse 6. This Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being found or being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and has given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and even under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is only as we begin to look at Jesus that this word, this spirit, begins to take its effect on our lives. We become more and more like him as we look at him. I hope the process I mentioned helps you, but it is looking at Jesus that really gives the power. In fact, the Apostle Paul would say this explicitly. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, just a couple of books over to the left, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the Apostle Paul would share this with us. And he says, you want to be changed? You want this humility that God requires of us in these relationships? It's in Christ Jesus, and it's found by looking at him. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. See, it's, it's as we look at him, the Bible says we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. The change that we need comes from looking at Christ. And that is where I call your attention today. That is how you and I are going to be changed by the Lord. In fact, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. If you and I want to be able to count others more significant than ourselves, the power to do that will come from looking at Christ. And we can do that today by God's Spirit. You and I can count in this way that overcomes our sinful tendencies precisely because of the way that God did not count when he was dealing with our sin. You might have heard this as we read through it, but listen again. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Looking at Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you don't have to flip there again, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 17 on down, the Bible will tell us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in verse 19, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against us. You and I can count others more significant than ourselves. We can count others in this way that overcomes our sinful tendencies precisely because of the way God did not count when he was dealing with our sin. 
He sent his son Jesus to the cross, not counting our trespasses against us, so that for all who believed in him, who trusted that when Jesus went to the cross, that he was taking our place, that he was dying for our sins, the ones we had committed, that he was perfectly innocent and pure, but offered himself up for our sins anyway. God has determined to save us and to forgive us if we put our faith and our trust in Christ. That offer, that offer is for you this morning. It is for you this morning. It is, it is one thing for me to sit here and to tell you that I still need to have my life put right in this area, and I certainly do. It is quite another thing for you to be sitting there and realizing, do you know what? I need first things first. My, my sins have not yet been brought to Jesus' cross for forgiveness. If that's you this morning, I beg you to come. I beg you to come and to lay your sins at his cross and to trust that he will forgive you. Jesus died in your place. God raised him from the dead. And you can not only have this mind which allows you to be humble before others in Christ Jesus, but you can have him. You can have a place in God's family forever. The certainty, the assurance of knowing that every sin of yours is pardoned completely and that you will spend all of eternity with the Lord who made you and who calls you to himself. Please, please don't let anything stand in the way of you coming to Jesus. Lord, help us this morning as we think through what we've heard. I just pray that you would help us, um, first of all, to come to you for forgiveness and eternal life if we never have. But more than that, for, for all of us in the room, Lord, that you would help us, even those of us who have been blessed, to come to Jesus' cross to receive that forgiveness and eternal life. Help us to put our souls before you to humble ourselves and to remember that you call us to count others more significant than, than ourselves, to seek not only our own interests but also the interests of others. Lord, for me personally, I, I just pray you would, you would help me with the one, uh, the one particular thing that you are highlighting in my life right now, the manifestation of this conceit um, where I, I have this habit of cutting other people off when they're talking. So I don't, and, and, I, and I pray that you would help each one of us who is, who is now searching our own hearts to find out what, what maybe something like that is for us. Um, and I, I pray that you would apply your gospel to that place in our lives like a healing balm that, that you, would, you would make us more like your son and that our manner of life from this day forward would be more worthy of the gospel of Christ. We ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please take, please take a couple of minutes or, you know, a, a minute here or there. I don't know how long it will take the Lord to speak to you on this matter, but take a, a minute or so and see if in your time of prayer, the Holy Spirit would not highlight a particular thing for you where, where you tend to walk in conceit rather than humility in your relationships with others, maybe even in your own home. Don't be afraid to let the Lord into that place. Let the master general contractor of the Spirit go to work in your life. Um, and, and let's just trust Him for what He wants to do in taking our lives in the right direction. Our musicians are going to play now and lead us in a time of response. And in just a moment, in fact, if you're serving the elements of communion, you can, you can get up and actually go get those elements now and take your stations. We're going to, as a believing church, take communion together. 
and the bread and the cup represent the body and the blood of Jesus respectively. The body that Jesus offered up for us on the cross and the blood that he shed so that our sins can be forgiven. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, as often as we do this, we are proclaiming the death of the Lord until he comes. So just as we've proclaimed God's saving work through his son Jesus on our behalf with our words, we're also going to proclaim that very same saving work in a very special way with our whole selves, and not just individually, but collectively as a believing church. And for those of you who have never come to faith in Christ, take this time again to let your soul sit before him. And we pray that this witness of the believing church as we come forward will speak to you. And again, shape your life so that it might become more worthy of the gospel of Christ. Lord, thank you again. Come when you're ready. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlett given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.